The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. The Bible often compares us, as a matter of fact, to sheep. Now, I'm a city boy, and uh, I don't claim to know a ton about sheep, but it is common knowledge that sheep are prone to wander. This is why they need a shepherd. W. Philip Keller, in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, writes these words. He says, quote, It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. He goes on to say that sheep do not just take care of themselves like many people might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care, end quote. Now, I don't believe the Bible is degrading us when it likens us to sheep. We are beautifully and wonderfully created in the image of God. It's not, this picture is not meant to degrade, degrade us, but it's showing us the love and the care that God has for us. Here's the meaning behind us being sheep. We, the Created beings are not meant to live apart from our Creator. God Himself is our shepherd, and He is a good shepherd. And we are not meant to go throughout this life just on our own, just leaving life to happenstance. No, we have a great God. You know, some people think God created the world, and then He just kind of is now hands off saying, hey, good luck, whatever happens, happens. That is not the God of the Bible. God is very involved in the lives of His people. One of the beautiful truths found in the New Testament is that Jesus Christ, God the Son Himself, is as Christians. He is our good shepherd. Peter would call Him here the chief shepherd. Very familiar passage found in John chapter 10, verse 27 says this. Jesus says, My sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And, and catch this promise. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. How many believe Jesus is our great shepherd? He is our, uh, our healer, our deliverer. He is our salvation. Yeah, he even laid down his life to protect His sheep. Amen? To bring us safely to God. That's what a shepherd, a good shepherd would do, is put himself in harm's way for the good of the sheep. Oh, Jesus did this to an extreme degree. Here's what's interesting, though, in the New Testament. Jesus is wonderfully our shepherd, but the Bible reveals that Jesus, our chief shepherd, shepherds us in part through what we might call under-shepherds. All right? He, he, he leads us through what we would call under-shepherds. So Peter here refers to these under-shepherds as elders. You're familiar with this term. Now there are three terms that the Bible uses for this position in the church, this under-shepherd, that are interchangeable. Okay, you have the word elder, you have the word bishop or overseer, and you have the word pastor, which is the word shepherd, the one we're most familiar with. But these are the same office. These, 
this is not three different offices. This is one office, three interchangeable terms. Now, most of you are not pastors in this church. Some of you perhaps may be called to the ministry. You may be. I know we do have some pastors in here now. But I believe that this text, I'm not skipping these verses very intentionally. I'm supposed to preach to you the whole counsel of God, and there's a reason. There's a couple of reasons. Number one is I'm going on sabbatical in a couple weeks for five weeks, and I want to convince you to give me my job back when I get back, all right? Like, I want to keep my job, so I just need to show you why you need me, all right? But secondly, and a little more seriously, um, I want you to see what you should expect from me and any pastor who is in your life. I want you to see biblically what a true godly pastor should look like. So, very quickly, I just want to point out three truths from our text. Number one, pastors must have the right treasure. Number two, we must possess the right skills. And number three, we must be driven by the right motives. This is important. Number one, we must have the right treasure. I love verse one here in this text. Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. You know what strikes me about this verse? It's interesting to me that Peter does not play the apostle card. This shows great humility. He doesn't say, all right, elders, listen up. I'm, I, Peter, the great apostle, am commanding you what to do. He just appeals to them as a fellow elder. You just see great humility here. And then after he says, I'm a fellow elder, he immediately reminds them that he saw, witnessed the sufferings of Christ and that he will be a partaker in future glory, which means that is only true if he's a real follower of Jesus. Peter's point, I'm an elder, and that eldership is grounded in my relationship with Jesus Christ, which should tell you this. This may be obvious to you. You need to know this. You could have a really talented speaker for a pastor. You could have a, a pastor with many degrees hung on his wall, but if he is not a mature, real follower of Jesus who is growing in, in, in the Word of God daily, in the, daily, in the grace of God daily, if he is not living out biblical principles in his own life, he is not fit to be your pastor. So this is the starting point. And, and again, I know it seems obvious, but it must be said that a, a true, qualified pastor, elder, overseer will have a vibrant and, let me say, mature relationship with Jesus Christ. There was a story told uh, that years ago that there was a, a plane uh, traveling across California that had to make a, a, an unexpected stop in Sacramento. So they, they land and the uh, announcer comes up on the intercom or the, the flight attendant and she says, hey, she says, you're welcome to get off the plane. We're going to be here a while and uh, we will reboard in, in just a little bit. We'll announce it. So all these people exit the plane except for one man sitting about midway down the aisle. The man happens to be blind, and hidden underneath his legs is his seeing eye dog. So everyone else has gotten off the plane except the pilot and this man. The pilot then walks out of the cockpit, and he sees the man, and he recognized him. He'd been on that flight before. 
And he calls him by name. The man's name was Keith. He says, hey, Keith, would you like to get off the plane and stretch your legs? And he said, no, you know, it's just a little cumbersome. He said, I'm content right here. I'll just sit. He said, but my dog, my seeing-eye dog, would love to step off the plane. Just get a quick walk in, I'm sure. Pilate says, hey, I'd be willing to, to walk him for you. You know where this is going, don't you? So here's the pilot, takes the dog by the leash, and he walks off the plane, and to make matters a little more fun, he put on his sunglasses. <laughs> you can imagine what happened. The, the flight attendant's desk was, was bombarded with people wanting to change flights. He had a little fun with the people. Now, my point is this. Men who are spiritually blind, who do not have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, who do not walk in biblical truth themselves, have no business flying God's plane full of God's people. Like, I don't want to get on a plane with somebody who can't see where they're going, and I don't want to sit in a church where the pastor is spiritually blind either. So as I mentioned earlier, the term elder suggests this type of maturity. So this is not just a Christian. This is a mature Christian uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul's giving the qualifications for an elder, and he says that he must not be a recent convert. This is, cannot be a new Christian. This is somebody who is mature in the faith, and I love using this language. Um, I believe this is somebody who must treasure Jesus Christ above all things. Like, that's what you need first and foremost in a pastor. He may not be the, the most eloquent, the most gifted in some other areas, but he's got to uh, treasure Jesus Christ above all things, all right? Got to be a mature believer in the Lord. Now, that alone does not qualify someone to be an elder, pastor, overseer. Secondly, they have to not only have the right treasure, but they must possess the right skills. Years ago, I was a worship leader, and I had a... Uh, I had a young lady come up to me at my church, and she said, uh, Chris, she said, I would love to be one of your drummers on the worship team. I thought, you would? That's great. We're always looking for, for other musicians to, to fill in and that kind of a thing. I said, tell me about yourself. And told me about her upbringing, about her relationship with Jesus. And I said, well, tell me about your musical ability. She said, yeah, I love to play the drums. She said, I just have one issue. I said, well, what is it? She said, tempo. And I said, Ma'am, you might want to work on that before you try out for our worship team because tempo, if you can't keep tempo like that's kind of an issue for a drummer. So pastors must possess certain skills and they must develop those skills to qualify for eldership. And I, be, I believe this is the, one of the ways you test your calling to being a pastor and elder. God wants you to be an elder. He will equip you with the right skills. All right, uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 2, it says this, shepherd the flock, shepherd there used as a verb, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Now, there are many responsibilities of a pastor, many of which I did not know when I signed up for this, all right? Uh, there's just uh, a lot of things that pastors do, but there are three main biblical responsibilities that every pastor is responsible for. Number one, when we think about serving God's flock, his sheep, we must be able to feed the flock. Now, Peter understands this, all right? 
Peter gets this because you might remember after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus gave Peter a very clear discourse on this subject. John 21, 15, let me just read it for you. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, sheep without food will grow sickly very quickly. And it is the job of a shepherd to move them from pasture to pasture to find safe food, lest they get sick and die. Also, the shepherd must lead them by the still water, as Psalm 23 says, because sheep will just drink from anywhere and they might be overtaken by a current in certain streams, bodies of water. So it is the shepherd's job to provide food and drink for sheep. And it is the primary job of the pastor to make sure that the people under his care are fed and nourished, get this, by the whole counsel of God. 1 Timothy 3.2 says this, that an elder must be able to teach. That's a requirement. You can't rightly divide the word of truth you have no business being an elder. There's another ministry for you, I promise you. You've got some gift that's really valuable to the church, but you're not called to be an elder. Now, it does not say that we have to have the most eloquent of speech like Chuck Swindoll. It doesn't say that we have to have the booming voice and massive altar calls of Billy Graham. It doesn't say that we have to be able to tell a story like Paul Harvey. The the implication is this, that we must, as pastors, be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And then we must be able to articulate articulate it in a way that makes sense to you, that that, that you can apply to your life. So it's not just that we feed you some historical, biblical, theological knowledge and, and say, do with it what you will. No, we need to be able to show you how to apply it to your life, how to walk in those truths. I said this in my prayer, but what we need today is not more motivational speakers. We have enough of those filling the pulpits across America today. and You can grow a church like that, but that's not what the church needs. It's not entertainers in the pulpit. It is, it is those men of God who rightly preach the word of truth, the, the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's what we need. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now hear me. I believe in personal Bible study. How many believe in that? Like I think if this is the only time you're eating, if it's just a Sunday morning meal for you when you're feeding on the word of God, you're going to be spiritually hungry. I believe in personal Bible study. And I believe that each one of you, if you're truly saved, you have the Holy Spirit who will help you and guide you in the truths found in His Scriptures. But that does not negate the office of teacher, 
preacher in your life. There are doctrinal truths that you need a, a pastor, an elder, to help you understand. This is the case in the Bible as we see them in, in Acts 2, after all these people get saved, submitting to the, the apostles and their doctrines. And this has been the case when you look throughout history. There's a real danger that's happening in the church today. It's, it's people who think they don't need a pastor. They say, well, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to go and, 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 and I'm just going to read the Bible. And whatever it means to me, that's what I'm going to go with. Friends, that is dangerous. That is dangerous. God has designed the church. He has installed pastors, elders, teachers to guide you in the truth. And so you need to sit under a pastor that, that you trust handles the word of truth correctly. Please don't walk out on me now if you don't. All right, that would be embarrassing. But hopefully you have confidence in me that I'm able to, to rightly handle the word of truth. And it is an honor, let me say, to preach the word, but we should not take it lightly. That's why James says this in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers. See this in the church today where everybody wants to teach. Everybody wants to, you better be careful because every word you say matters when you're talking about the things of God. And he says this, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. I'm very, very particular about what's said in this church, and that's through small groups. That's through our youth, that's through our children. That's when our worship team's up here, if they say something in between a song, those words matter. That's when somebody's taking offering. Every word matters. So never, if you're a teacher in this church, if you have the opportunity to be on this platform for any reason, please don't ever, ever, ever take teaching lightly. Don't just repeat things that you've heard somebody else say. If you don't know it to be 100% truth, you don't know where our church stands on the issue, better just not to, to say it. And let's have that conversation first. We just need to be careful, all right? It is a great privilege, but it is also a great responsibility to teach. Now, that's number one. We've got to be able to feed the sheep. Second qualification for an elder is this, that we must be able to, to protect the sheep. Right? That's the job of a shepherd, to pr protect the sheep. So this is closely tied to the first responsibility because one of the warnings that we see throughout the New Testament, it's the warning of false prophets and false doctrine. So one of my main jobs is to help you guard from false doctrines because sheep are hungry and a lot and they tend to eat whatever's out there, right? Even plants that are toxic for them. This is true spiritually for many believers as well. We ought to hunger and thirst for God, right? But there's a danger in that. We should hunger and thirst for God, but here's the danger. When you're hungry, don't just eat whatever's out there. We know this in our physical lives, right? Like you can be hungry. Be careful what you eat. There's foods that we know are toxic to our bodies. You need to be careful what you eat. Well, it is the same way spiritually. Years ago, I had this experience already saved, but I had an experience at a church that was really good, experience with the Holy Spirit. And consequently, I was just hungry for more, like, give me more. Have you ever been in that place? Like, I just want all that God has for me. That's where I was. The problem was, I did not submit to my pastor and just receive from my church 
I just went out on my own. Now I was reading books, and this is going to date me a little bit, but I had, a, I had cassette tapes that I ordered from all these TV ministries. And I was just, man, listening to them, and I thought, hey, they talk about Jesus, they use the Bible, it must be good. And I'm eating, and I'm eating, and I'm eating spiritually, and here's what I found, that it almost killed me. Because there is a lot of bad doctrine out there right now, and I'm not here to, 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 to go down that road today and tell you what the doctrines are, but I've addressed many of them. There are doctrines that are sweeping across our, our, our churches today, and they are on, they're most of what's on TV right now, these, a lot of these ministries that you see all the time, and they are leading people astray, and it, it, it just, my heart just cringes when I see even some of you with really good intentions who are hungry, and some of the books you post, and some of the, the, the authors and, and, and pastors that you share, I, I, and, and it's my job as a pastor to help you kind of work through some of those theological issues and perhaps stay away from those that might lead you astray. Titus 1.9, he's talking about an elder. He said he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Folks, doctrine matters. What you believe about God matters. Think about this. Jesus said, I am, that God is looking for people who will worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Say it again. Spirit and truth. So, if you are fed a false doctrine and that causes you to worship, you are not worshiping God in the right way. God wants you to worship Him according to the truth that's laid out in Scripture. So here's what Titus 1.9 says. An elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and watch this, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now I am not into, and I tried to guard, for, guard from this, just slamming other ministries just to slam them. But if there is an issue, and I see that, that one of the sheep that God has put under our care is being led astray by another teacher, preacher, whoever it is, just know I'm going to tell you. And you ought to thank the Lord that you have somebody that's, that's loving enough and willing enough to have those hard conversations with you. When you're all excited about a book or a study, I say, you know what, you better guard your heart from Okay, that's part of my job is to protect you. The other thing, main thing that I'm to protect you from is the deceitfulness of sin. This is not popular in our culture, right? I had a lady I was ministering to one time when I first moved back to Richmond, and uh, I invited her to church, and she says to me, well, I really don't like to go to church because when I do and then I miss for a while, the pastor tends to call me and ask me where I'm at. Like, and this is what people want today. They want to go in. They, they don't want to be seen. They want a little bit of Jesus on Sunday morning, and they want everybody just to leave them alone. Let me live my life. That's not a biblical model of Christianity. The Bible says not just the pastor, but we're to be involved with one another. We're to do life together. We're to hold one another accountable. You're to hold me accountable. I'm to hold you accountable. But one of my jobs as a pastor, according to the Bible, is to lead you in righteousness to show you how to serve the Lord and to warn you when you're making decisions that are not according to the Bible. When you come into a membership covenant with us, if you haven't done that, I, I, I encourage you to do it. Here's, here's what you're saying, Pastor, I really want to be pastored. I want you to call me out when I need it. I want you to encourage me. I want you to pray for me. And your commitment is, hey, I'll pray for you and I'll hold you accountable as well. It's a beautiful relationship. 
But when it comes to the day, because we all stumble, do we not? In Iowa, one of our other pastors has to approach and say, you know what, this probably wasn't the best decision, the most biblical, godly decision. Please don't leave the church. Just prepare yourself for that day. Now, we don't go around here trying to sniff out sin every, you know, that's not how we are. But I'm just saying, when there's a big ordeal in your life, be grateful that you have people who hold you accountable. Because here's, here's the tendency. We just had this happen. I had a, a, a great member of our church who signed this covenant and said, I want to be pastored. Make a very sinful decision. Not just to mess it. This is to live in a sinful lifestyle. So I called this person in and I said, hey, we're going to handle this according to Matthew 18. I'm going to confront you if you don't repent. We're going to go to the board, so on and so forth. Because we love you enough to tell you the truth. This is not God's will for your life. Show this person in Scripture where this is wrong. And she said, what are my other options? I said, the only other option is for you to cut yourself off. She said, okay, that's what I want to do. She resigned her membership along with somebody else. And now they're going to a church where they can slip in and nobody's going to call them out on it. You should not want that. You need to be in a church where this idea of a pastor being escorted up on the stage and then escorted off so the people don't bother him, it's not a biblical model of pastor. I met a girl not too long ago who went to a great church. She said, I've never met my pastor before. Listen, if, if that's the relationship you want with us, you're at the wrong church. We're real-life community church. Like, we want to be involved in your life. No, we're not going to spy on you. We're not going to micromanage you every decision of your life. We just want to do life with you. We want to be an example to you. We want you to be able to, to, to watch us and so we can say, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what being a pastor is about. So, we are to protect the flock. Finally, we are to lead the flock. Not just teach, not just protect, but we're to lead. Verse 2 again, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And the second part of verse 3 says we're to be examples to the flock. So this is a little bit redundant, but here's the point. This means that, again, if I'm going to have oversight, it means I have to be involved in your life. I have to get to know you. That's one of the things I love about this church, that we do life together. We're supposed to have oversight. The goal of pastoring is not just to impart knowledge to you, but it's to lead you. Part of my job, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is not to do all the work of the ministry, but it is to equip you for the work of the ministry. And how can I equip you if I don't have a relationship with you? So, it's not my job just to, to preach and protect, but it's my job to lead you, to equip you. So, as a pastor, I must have a relationship with Jesus. I must have the right skills. And finally, I must be driven by the right motives. So I want to close by quickly looking at three contrasts that describe how a pastor should shepherd the flock. Number one is this. We should shepherd not out of compulsion, but out of love. Same principle that I talked about in office offering today. Shepherd the flock of God, verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So if you are an elder, an overseer, a bishop, a pastor, and we have to twist your arm to serve in that capacity, you might just want to find a new job. Let me ask you this. 
Tiffany, you have a, I'm, I'm glad to see you here, by the way, because when Tyler pulled up, I didn't see you on the back, and I was like, oh, she's, she's falling off. <laughs> Tiffany, you have what, five dogs? Okay, if you were to go out of town and you were to have to find a pet sitter, would you want to leave your dogs with somebody that hates animals but says, hey, I'm a friend, I'm just going to fill in, I guess, if you can't find anybody else? Or would you rather find somebody who loves animals and you know when you go on vacation, this person's going to nurture my animals, going to spend some time with them, not just do the responsible duty, right? Like they're going to put their heart into it. Of course, we want somebody that cares about animals to watch our animals. How do you think God feels about his flock? You think he wants a pastor in this church that's just doing it because I can't do anything else? Or, oh, I've, I've just been in ministry for years, uh, just kind of stuck. He wants people who are passionate about leading his sheep. Not under compulsion where you, you don't have to be forced. Oh, you do it lovingly, willingly. I honestly can say this to you. I can't imagine doing anything else. I love, it's, it comes with its challenges, yes. I love pastoring you. I love pastoring you. It's not, this is the other thing here. It's not that, okay, I'm in a smaller church now. I'm just going to grit and bear it so one day I can have this, maybe get this big church down the road. No, that's not what the Lord wants. He says, love where you're at right now. And by the way, just so you know, I hope that I never have to pastor another church. I hope I can retire right here at Real Life Community. This is not a stepping stone for me. I love you people. So we're not to pastor out of compulsion, but out of love. Secondly, we're not to pastor out of greed, but out of passion. He says in the second part of verse 2, we're not to shepherd out of for shameful gain, shameful gain, but eagerly. Can you believe that there are those pastors? This is not a new thing. This has been for generations, for millennial. This has been the case that there are those who would exploit the ministry for financial gain. Now, to be sure, we know that it is not wrong, and it is actually encouraged to pay vocational ministry. ministry. There's nothing wrong with receiving a, a salary. I am so blessed, church, to be a church of our side. You take such great care of me, and I say thank you. point is this. If you're in it for the money, that's a scary thing. You've seen this. You've seen preachers who kind of flaunt their, their money and their mansions and their fancy cars and all of these things. And I just want to ask you, I'm not here to judge anybody else's heart. I'm just, I want to ask you because I like nice stuff too. Anybody else like nice stuff? Like, I don't want the world, the things of this world to have my heart. Jesus says that you can't love God and money. And so I never want to, this, there to be this temptation to use the ministry for financial gain. I make, a, I make a, a decent salary now, but when I came here, that was not the case. I was hardly paid anything, and I want you to know that I loved my job and I served just as much in those early years as I do now. Not in it for the money, I promise you. And so we've got we've to guard. So I want you to pray for me that that would always be the case, that I would, always, that I would never be, be, be drawn to the things of this world. Okay? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with living a, a comfortable life in the country in which we live. But I'm just saying if, if I'm ever pulled towards luxury, if that's, 
What's driving me? Listen, there's a huge issue. Pray for me. Finally, we're not to pastor out of hunger for power, but for a desire to serve. This is one that we have to guard from. Um, don't have time to get deep into this, but I believe that the way that our church is set up and most churches in America is not really America is not really a biblical model where we have one pastor who's in charge of everything. Everybody accuses pastors of being micromanagers. Well, when you're in charge of everything, how can you not be? That's kind of the definition of right. Like everything ultimately the buck stops with me on every decision. How loud the music is. What kind of songs we sing. What kind of garbage bags we use. Everything. People ask me everything. Like, I don't want to be over all these things. I want to I kind of preach and, and spend my time in, in preaching in the Word and discipling people. So I believe the Bible teaches that we should have a plurality of elders. And so that's, I want you to know that's one of our goals as a church. We have Pastor Ben here as an associate pastor, but we want... We don't want it to be, okay, lead pastor and then associates and then, no, we want it to be, I would be the first among equals because you got to have some kind of account, some head, anything with more than one head's a freak, right? So you got to have, got to have a head. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes, that's freak. Um, so you got to have somebody in charge, but I would be a first among equals. So the spiritual load that's on this church would be shared. And I'm the one asking for that. Because I don't ever want to be a dictator. I don't ever want to be a micromanager. And it's too much weight to bear for one person anyways. It lends itself to pride. It lends itself to just a, a power trip. Pray for me. I don't ever want that to be the case. He says, hey, don't, don't pastor out of a hunger for power. But it should be for a desire to serve. You know what I am to you? I don't need anybody to open my car door for me and Hand me my coffee. I don't need anybody to, to carry my Bible up on stage, even though Hunter just handed mine to me. That was not planned. <laughs> That's pretty funny right there. <laughs> I don't need that. You know why? You know what my job for you, to you? It's to serve you. That's how I see myself. Just to serve it. It's all I want to be. It's what I'm called to be. I'm not somebody to be worshipped. I'm not... Somebody to be put on a pedestal. I'm a servant. I want to serve you. I want to feed you. I, I, I want to protect you. I want to walk with you. That's my heart. So I just close by saying this. I am so grateful to be the pastor of Real Life Community Church. Such a privilege to pastor you people. It is a joy. I never dread going to work. As a matter of fact, some of you heard last week, next Sunday is our my wife and I's five-year anniversary at our church. It's kind of monumental for us. Because I say that the church doesn't become your church till five years. So my church next Sunday, right? Um, and we, the, the board has been so generous to give us every five years, we get a five-week sabbatical, uh, which is not a vacation. But it is a, um, one week of it's going to be vacation. The rest of it is going to be spent in prayer and fasting and studying and seeking God's direction for the next five years of this church. We've got some big decisions to make. And so, I'm looking forward to the break, but it's going to kill me not to be with you for five Sundays. I'm just telling you, it's going to really bother me. I'm going to be going to other churches. I'll be in church, but listen, it's going to, it's going to hurt me not to be here. 
I just love, I love my job. So I want you to hold me accountable for these biblical requirements. And my hope is over this, these five weeks that I will come back because I've made a lot of mistakes. By the way, thank you for your grace upon me when I have made mistakes. Not a perfect pastor, I promise you. Thank you for your grace. And I hope to come back more humble, more of a servant's heart, more equipped, more prepared to lead you for the next five years. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.